Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast, bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in Tuscarawas County. Now here's your host, Jody Salvo. Hi, this is Jody Salvo. Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Today, I'm joined with McCream LaRue from Noah's Hope Child Advocacy Center, Robin Bowdish, the East Regional Human Trafficking Coordinator, and Melanie Anderson from Compass Rape Crisis Center. Today we'll be talking with them about human trafficking and how it relates and as it relates to Tuscarawas County. First, welcome ladies. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Great. Good. Thank you you for being here today. And I'd like y'all to start just by telling me who you are and what role you play here in the community. And let's start with Melanie. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I work at Compass Rape Crisis Center, so for Stark County, um, we're, I'm sorry, for Tusk County, <laughs> <laughs> we, we work for uh, in Tusk, Stark, and Carroll Counties, but for Tusk County, um, we're the Rape Crisis Center. We have a 24-hour hotline. Um, we do hospital advocacy and uh, legal advocacy as well, so help support people as they go through the um, process at the hospitals, through the court system. Um, police interviews, things like that. Neat. So that's uh, a large part of what we do, case management and just Perfect. overall support I can for promise survivors. you I'm going to have a lot more questions for you because uh, this is something that I need to learn a little bit more about. So okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Makria. Yeah. Uh, my name is Makria LaRue. I am the um, coordinator for Tusk Against Trafficking as well as my role at Noah's Hope Child Advocacy Center. Um, and so, uh, we are a coalition that's comprised of different community members, everything from, um, just general community members who care about human trafficking and want to fight it in Tuscarawas County to, um, medical professionals or mental health specialists, or even our county commissioners have been involved. So, um, there's a lot of different people, diversity, which is awesome because you need that kind of community support. Um, to fight an issue as big as human trafficking. So it's a little bit about our coalition. How many people are in your coalition? Um, it depends. <laughs> um, so so sometimes uh, we have over, I want to say over 60 contacts that are that are supporting the human trafficking cause in Tuscarawas County. Um, in attendance, it just depends on on schedules and busyness and that sort of thing. So um but, but actively fighting human trafficking in Tuscross County, I'd say there's definitely over 50 people. Wow, that's so. neat. Robin. I am Robin Bowdish. I am uh, the East Region Coordinator for Ohio's Look Beneath the Surface uh, Public Awareness Grant on Human Trafficking, and McCree and I share that. Uh, she works specifically in Tusk County, and then I serve um, six other counties, which include Carroll, Stark, Jefferson, uh, Guernsey, Muskingum, and Wayne Holmes counties. So I feel my role is to act as the conduit between those counties and all the great things they're doing uh, with around human trafficking awareness and the state uh, with their grant. And also, I really enjoy this role because it gives me the opportunity to learn the good things these counties are doing and then to share it in Tusk County. So Wonderful. Yeah. Well, good. Good to have you here. Let's start today on talking about what is human trafficking, because I, I kind of remember the first time I had a presentation around human trafficking, and it was probably three or four years ago. It wasn't what I thought it was. So who wants to feel that question? 
I'll start and then I'll let Macria jump in um, because I think really the most basic part of human trafficking is that it, if you think about it as the forced service of others um, for money, drugs, food, anything of value. So if somebody's forcing a person to do something so that they can get those things and benefit from that, that, that is basically human trafficking. Um, it's really nothing more than modern-day slavery where others are benefiting and profiting from what somebody else is doing. So uh, you may have a young girl who uh, leaves home and a, a, a guy takes in. He may force her to have sex with people to get money to pay rent. Okay. That's human trafficking. Um, there's also the, uh, there's the sex part of it. But sex exploitation, but there's also uh, the labor exploitation as well. And I we see a lot of the labor exploitation in Tuscarawas County. Okay. Yep. So so the Ohio Revised Code definition of human trafficking is exploitation of men, women, and children through force, fraud, or coercion for commercial sex or labor purposes. Okay. So that's what, um, legally speaking, and, and, and what it boils down to is exactly what Robin was saying. So it's... It can be force, fraud, or coercion. A lot of times when we think of force, we think of threats or violence or um, being physically forced to do something. But sometimes it's coercion. Sometimes it's if you really love me, you'll do this. Or um, if you don't do this, um, then your life is going to be meaning like different different things like that. So So when you said that, it kind of makes me think with compass. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of um, connections here. Yeah, definitely. Um, We see a lot of people, even in the the hospital, um, they can show up there once injuries are, have reached a certain point and they do need medical attention. And then the hospitals are pretty good about um, fielding out those questions and those people. And then um, seeing if that person would like an advocate present to come and help support them and talk with them a little bit. What else do we need to know about human trafficking? I think something that a lot of people don't recognize is is that it is happening in Tuscarawas County. So a lot of us think that if it is happening in Tuscarawas County, it's just kids getting abducted um, and then taken somewhere else. And that's not necessarily true. Um, We've done studies on um, different websites that offer children for sex, um, which is automatically human trafficking. Any child that's being offered for sex is human trafficking. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. Um, and so, and there are, there's a market for it here. There's a market, um, there are people buying sex with kids here in Tuscarawas County. So how did um, they do that here in the county? Like, th- there's a lot of online stuff um, that that's, that's the easiest thing for us to kind of research and track. Um, and some, some pages have been taken down. The one that we studied, or Stark County studied um, in 2015 has been taken down. Um, it's called backpage.com. But the ones that aren't based in the USA, we can't really get off the internet <laughs> because yeah, we okay. don't have the legality. So there's a lot of them at, out of Russia. Um, but just because they're out of Russia, they still have Tuscarawas County specific children, Tuscarawas County specific buyers, um, and different stuff like that all over our nation, not just here, sure. obviously. Um, and so um, by, by tracking that, we know that in, in a three-month time period in the winter of 2015, there were approximately 50 ads for buying sex with children in Tuscarawas County. So, and that was five years ago. Now, were those buying sex with 
children of Tuscarawas County or adults? It was children being posted for sex in Tuscarawas County. So whether or not the kids were from here is up for debate. Um, But there were buyers. They were marketing to buyers in Tuscarawas County. So um, the fact that we have a market for it here means that our kids are at risk. It means that um, there are people who are engaging in this activity. Um, Otherwise, they wouldn't have wasted their time posting an ad. Um, And so it's just something to be... It's definitely happening here um, when we look at sex trafficking. Uh, Labor trafficking is also happening here. We have, um, you know, we've seen around Ohio different cases of labor trafficking, especially with Hispanic individuals on um, farms and that sort of thing. Um, And so we've had some cases that have had a lot of red flags for labor trafficking in Tuscarawas County as well. Um, And that can be at farms, it can be in uh, factories, it can be um, grocery stores, it can be restaurants, it can be a, there's a bunch of different um, avenues and different ways that can look. Um, But we do know that that's happening as well. And so, um, and it's happening with our children. We know that uh, in in New Philly and Dover, we have kids that have been brought to Ohio um, by people who are supposed to be supporting them and then told that they owe anywhere from $5,000 to $30,000 for their transport here. And so they are going to school and then working from like 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. and then coming back and trying to do school again the next day. Um, And so we know that that's happening here. Um, and all their money has to go to their, their sponsor. Um, and so that's a really convoluted situation, but, but it is happening here in Tuscarawas County where we see kids both, um, sex trafficked and labor trafficked. And and we know it's happening because the office of refugee and resettlement, which is a federal part of the federal health and human services, um, uh, department, um, keep statistics on that information, and consistently Tuscarawas County ranks third in the state of Ohio. Really? With the county receiving the most number of unaccompanied minors. So in the period from um, October 1st, 2018 to September 30th, 2019, which is the most recent, that's the most recent federal fiscal year we have data on, there were 98 um, minors who were uh, sent to Tuscarawas County who who fit into that unaccompanied minor category. And, and just to put that in perspective, you know, 90, 98 might not seem like a lot, but it's enough to put us third in the state. Um, so Franklin County had 237 unaccompanied minors and Hamilton County had 369. And, and if you look at that percentage-wise based on population, right, their we're, we're pretty high. We're, know, number, we, one. we're number one yeah. for that if you look at percentages. So, so that's a lot of kids to consistently come in. Now, who's keeping an eye on these kids that are unaccompanied <laughs> That's, that's, like, the, con- that's the concern, and that's how Noah's Hope Child Advocacy Center got involved with this to begin with. The former director was very concerned about these kids because they're brought in um, and placed in a home with a sponsor that they're, that's just in name only. So sometimes they're really hard to track. Once they're placed, they fall, yeah. they, they just disappear. So my husband and I are foster parents. And okay. when you become a foster parent, your whole world gets shaked 
turned upside down and shook to make sure you have nothing <laughs> hiding under the bed, right? And that's the way it should be because these kids deserve that. They deserve a safe home. Um, and Ohio Refugee Resettlement, when they have someone apply for sponsorship of an unaccompanied minor, um, they do a federal background check, and that's it. 7% of their, it's either 6 or 7% of their homes they actually do a home study on. And so a lot of times they don't come down and even look to see if the house is okay um, or if it's even, a, if it's if an it's occupied home. Right. Um, and so um, these kids are, and, and some, they're not even checked to see if they're, um, like if they are legal residents. And so as long as these people have not committed a federal crime, they're allowed to take these kids and they go to Cleveland to get the kids and then they just bring them back down and no one follows up with them. No one is notified that they're here. The schools aren't even notified that they're here and that they're supposed to be enrolling. So some of so these kids might not ever get into Not school. ever step foot into our school buildings, correct. Because keep in mind, they still have to pay the person who brought them here. Yeah. And they also are paying for their housing and any other living expenses they might have. So, so these kids are prime targets for yes. labor and yes. for, I would say, sex. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Yep. So Child Advocate Noah's Hope, tell us what that organization is, what it does, how it fits this. So we are... Um, we coordinate the county's response to child sex abuse and severe physical abuse. Okay. So we um, have a new facility on East High. Um, it's amazing. Um, and it's very, uh, it's a house. And, and it's set up like a house. And that's to help kids feel more comfortable. Because a lot of times kids who've been abused feel like it's their fault. And like they're going to be in trouble for it. And so if you take them to um, a police department to be interviewed, sometimes that just reinforces that sure. idea that they're in trouble. And that's not the fault of the police department. It's just the way they've been groomed and conditioned sure. by their abuser. And so we have a facility that is, you know, we've got couches, we've got stuffed animals, we've got blankets, we've got toilet. Well, we used to have all these things. <laughs> Since COVID, it's very empty and weird. Um, and we all have to wear masks, which is just awful. But um, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. But it's terrible when you're trying to relate to a small child. Most importantly, you have Alexa. We do have Alexa <laughs> and we still have Alexa. She's our facility dog and she sits, she, we call her our glorified couch potato and she sits with the kids and she visits with the kids. Um, and then we do forensic interviews. So we talk to them about what happened. It's very neutral, very fact finding, very scientific. Like it's not sensationalized. It's very gentle um, in a way that, that makes the kids feel more safe about disclosing what's happened to them because it's hard for us as adults to talk about our most recent sexual encounter right and that was more than likely consensual and so for these kids it's it's sure. 10 times harder um 10 might even be an understatement <laughs> um McCray, and so yeah how many how often do you see kids and oh boy <laughs> we oh i wish i had my numbers from last year um like every day a couple times a week it's not every day sometimes some days we'll have two to three cases um other days you know sometimes we'll go a week and a half without seeing any kids. So it's really, since the whole COVID thing, we've had an uptick in cases just because kids are stuck at home with their families or they are put with caregivers who um, might not be appropriate because daycares are shut down and whatnot. And so, you know, along with it, this kind of situation where we're all in quarantine just kind of amplifies any family dysfunction that is already existing. And so um, we've seen more Melanie, cases. have you all seen an uptick at the Rape Crisis Center as well for COVID? Well, there it 
went down. The numbers went down in the beginning. Um, as things are opening up, things are getting uh, much busier, um, more protection orders, so more of the legal advocacy, definitely um, increase in hotline calls. Um, and then the hospitals, we haven't been able to go into the hospitals recently. So once that starts happening, um, we have been trying to provide follow-up services uh, for the survivors in the hospital. So we're expecting as things really open up, um, our counseling is what has been absolutely hit. I mean, it is, they are very, very busy. I would have thought domestic violence would go up in a quarantine type situation. Yeah, but but I think was... one of the concerns is uh, that I keep hearing from the, the counties I serve is that uh, the people who are being abused can't get away from their abuser to to, to access to contact okay. someone that makes so. sense as well yeah they haven't been able to access and so um so the lethality has grown mm-hmm. uh because they can't get out at a point where it, um they're safe but the lethality has gone up the injuries are worse um and then they don't that. have the support at the hospital tell people about the hospital support um that yeah. normally takes place yeah normally um the hospital, whenever someone can either go in and say that um, this is why I'm here, or sometimes it comes out during medical procedures or exams, and uh, they ask, and so then they call us, Compass, uh, to send an advocate. And so an advocate responds and is able to um, sit with the survivor during the medical exam, the forensic exam, um, can help facilitate any sort of needs, immediate needs, and uh, just really provide that crisis intervention and that that having somebody there that maybe doesn't isn't a family member or someone sure. that knows you, but someone who can look at it from a non-judgmental point of view. And okay, for our listeners, as I am speaking with you all three, I just realized this is such a big topic. I have a feeling this is probably worth multiple podcasts because domestic violence mm-hmm. ties in with sexual abuse, mm-hmm. which ties into human trafficking and child then, abuse. Yeah, so drug, drug addiction is another huge drug addiction area I, that this is. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> listeners, I just want to say this. You know, sometimes when you're doing these interviews, you don't realize what you're jumping into until you're sitting across from the table, and then you're starting. I'm starting to connect the dots and I'm realizing this might be a hard podcast to follow (laughs) because there's a lot of issues right here. So for our listeners, I'm going to say hang with me and what we might do is just do some future podcasts or I think Mm -hmm. McCree, you guys might be looking into doing some podcasts as well. Tusk Against Trafficking is going to start their own podcast channel. So Okay, I think this is worth us all learning a little bit more about. First of all, when I hear the prevalence... Yeah. Number three in Ohio, because if anyone knows me, I don't think there's a better place to live than Tuscarawas Mm -hmm. County. And I still say that. Absolutely. So, I mean, we need to know what our problem areas are, Mm -hmm. because those are the only way we're going to address them. And the only way we're going to figure those out is is to have these conversations. But having this conversation, I'm realizing, oh, this onion has a lot of layers here. So I don't even know where to start at this moment. So, um Let's go to, you had mentioned Mm COVID-19. Our initial intent was human trafficking. 
How has that impacted human trafficking? Um, I think a lot of times, you know, when we look at um, just the the family structure, right? And and I'm a firm believer that family structure is extremely important in the well-being of a child. Um, and so whenever you have dysfunction in a family, even, even a minor one, this kind of quarantine can kind of amplify that. Um, and so it, it all starts kind of there, you know, is the kid feeling connected? Are they feeling loved? Are they feeling like those kinds of things in the home? Um, and if not, the number one place our kids are going for that is is online now. And so, and our kids are spending more time online sure. than, than ever before. So even if you come from a very stable and loving home, um, we see kids that get wrapped up in these um, predator, get, get connected with these predators online um, and, and are then at risk of being trafficked. Um, and so um, there, there have been more predatory online behaviors since COVID-19. Um, there seems to be a lot of uh, people trying to groom kids um, more and more online because they see this as a giant opportunity, right? This is more kids online. They have more access to children. They have more access to young adults. Um, and so, um, and, and our unemployment rates too for adults also have adults online more than normal. Um, and so um, it, it just, it it's a, it's an opportunity for traffickers to get in contact with more people. Um, it also, I've listened to a couple researchers talk about, you know, nothing's set in stone yet because it's all so new, but um, people who buy sex in particular don't care that a pandemic is going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they well, are they still... They might have more time. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, exactly. And so they don't, they're still buying sex at the same rates. There's no um, significant changes. Um, and then also, you know, when, when employers aren't allowed to have um, employees or they have all these regulations and stuff, um, that's just more incentive to have people that are being exploited. And so labor trafficking is, is also something that, that we believe is probably, um, getting worse uh, during this time. We don't have any, you know, you're not going to have statistics on that until all this is over, but, um, and after a while after it all calms down a little bit. So, but it's something that we believe logically makes sense that they would be exploiting more people. Um, and, and so the labor trafficking numbers are probably also increasing. Um, I, I want to add to what you talked about because you talked about the dysfunctionality yeah. being amplified uh, mm -hmm. through this COVID crisis and through people being, stuck at home. But I think even in, in very functional families mm -hmm. where you have mom and dad trying to work from home and you have kids around, um, I, I know myself, if I'm working and my husband's working, I'm just happy if everyone leaves me alone. Yep. Here's a which, tablet, go to your room. <laughs> which then, yeah, which then opens up, you know, like maybe I, in the past, I had limits on screen time um, or internet usage, but now it's just free for anybody because as long as you leave me alone yeah. because I'm online on some conferences <coughs> you can have access to whatever you want you can do your games you can mm -hmm. you know surf the net you can you, use whatever social media app you want you can connect with whoever you want just leave me alone yeah. and I do think we've set mis mixed messages during this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pandemic mm -hmm. where we're saying to parents 
you you might need to allow your child to have a little more screen time mm-hmm. because developmentally they're supposed mm-hmm. to be connecting mm-hmm. and isolation's probably yeah. not mm-hmm. great for their mental health. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, kids are having more access because mm-hmm. they're supposed to be doing their schoolwork and that's how they watch TV. So yeah. I got to imagine it's harder as a parent to monitor that that's going on. It's, well, it's, it, it's it, hard. Yeah, go ahead. Prior to the epidemic, the FBI estimates that uh, three out of four kids who uh, who have social media apps of some kind have been in contact with a predator mm-hmm. knowingly or un- well unknowingly for you know because that's what it is it's unknowingly but think about that three out of four mm-hmm. kids yeah prior to the epidemic and like Macria said these people these predators are opportunists mm-hmm. so they know yeah. um, they know this what is all going on they know how to connect with these kids they know the things to say to get them well uh, and that's that's one thing that, um, like traffickers, perpetrators, abusers, all of that. I mean, any they are actively looking for ways to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they can take advantage, take advantage of systems, legal systems, um, medical systems. However, they can abuse that um, to further the abuse against uh, their victim. Mm-hmm. So this just kind of amplifies mm-hmm. all of that and Not their ability to be able to do that. I want us to talk a little bit about what grooming is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to say from my, could, this is not a part of the world. Um, I have much knowledge, but I do work with teenagers and I've worked with great kids and I, I will say wonderful girls from great families. And I cannot tell you how often I will engage in a conversation and they'll tell me that they, lifted their shirt, they showed their body, you know, they shared it for many reasons because they're girls Mm -hmm. and they want to feel loved Mm -hmm. and someone on the other end of that screen is telling them they're beautiful or they want them or they love them and, you know, I can, I've had enough interaction that I know Mm it is probably much easier than we realize, Mm -hmm. but I'm also hearing this intentionality of people that can groom or they know what they're doing. So can you talk to us a little bit about what sure. grooming is and how that works? So so these um, perpetrators will, um, will connect with kids that they know are at risk in some form or fashion. They have ways to uh, come through social media accounts, different social media accounts, and they will um, find the kids who say things like, um, I really hate my life, my life sucks, um, my parents, I, I just went out of this house. I need somebody to love me. I don't know why why everybody thinks I'm ugly. You know, those kinds of things that appear on social media, those negative remarks will attract them. Um, and and if you think that your, your child is immune because you've taught them not to talk <laughs> to strangers, uh, these perpetrators are relentless. They will say they will try to connect, and when somebody doesn't respond, they'll say things like, "Gee, you're really being safe. You know, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, you're doing the right thing. You got to know there's a lot of creeps out there. There are people who really take advantage of you. So they they want to keep that conversation going, even if it's one one sided. And then all of a sudden, they'll jump in, and you know, the kid will the child will answer, and then all of a sudden, there it goes. It starts. You know. Um, and, and so it's all about um, trying to to make that youth understand that somebody feels worth in them. You know, they're taking and and it's their systems, the perpetrator systems that they use are so um, 
so sophisticated. I don't even think, Mm -hmm. you know, we have any idea what they are. I'm like you when you were talking about these podcasts. I'm always learning. Yeah. And I'm I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? And I don't think it's just girls. It's boys as well. They're just as vulnerable. Um, But the thing that happens with perpetrators is they can narrow down a location of a person they can be sitting anywhere in the world anywhere in the united states and they can narrow it down with simple questions you know that a youth will answer and think that he or she is not really giving away her location Uh, somebody might say to them online hey i have a meeting i have to go or i have to meet somebody i don't have a clock what time is it so they give them a time all of a sudden you've got a time zone you've got it narrowed down then the next question or another question might be, what's the weather like where you are? It's raining here. So, okay, well, it's snowing here. Okay, well, that puts you in the northern part. Um, and then it might be a question about, hey, do you like sports? I love sports. I'm a, I'm a pitcher for my uh, softball team. And then, you know, that starts a conversation. Uh, you know, I root for the Atlanta Braves. Who do you root for? Well, I root for the Cubs. Have you ever been to a game? And and there you go. All of a sudden, it's narrowed down. The other clue that these perpetrators can get comes from pictures that are on um, these young people's social media accounts. uh, And and we see this all the time. Somebody has a Dover Tornadoes cheerleader shirt on. Sure. There you go. Um, Another question that they might be asked is, hey, who's your favorite teacher? I had this really good teacher when I was in school that, you know, made all the difference in my life. Uh, Do you have a favorite teacher? So now you got them to Dover, to what building? To to their grade, their teacher. I mean, it's very easy for them to just conversationally. Draw this information out. And they literally like make a living off of this. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I talk to kids about a lot. You know, this is something that you have to be smarter than them. Kids like to think that they're smarter than somebody, right? And so we're like, you have to outsmart these people and they're making a living doing this. So it's not easy to outsmart them. But when they start asking you these questions or, you know, and, and the thing I tell kids all the time is don't don't contact with people you don't know in person. And even if you do know them in person, sometimes you still need to be aware of these grooming techniques because they could still be, even if it's a kid that you know, traffickers will use other children to recruit more children. And so that child is feeding the information from your friendship. Um, You guys can't, I did air quotes, um, from your (laughs) friendship. Um, And so it is a... You know, and so you, it could be a real life kid, but they are giving that information to, and I think that's especially important when we look at like gaming platforms, because kids are like, oh, well, this is clearly another kid. Yeah, it might be another kid, but it might be another kid who's under the control of a trafficker. Mm-hmm. And so, so do they groom through They groom systems? through gaming systems. They'll groom through social media. Um, they'll groom <clears throat> pretty any, much through anything. Any kind of internet <laughs> platform. And, and that's another thing. And in thing. person, yeah. And in, yeah, in person. But if you, if you think you're safe because you, are, you have a gaming system, you have, um, you have TikTok, you have um, Snapchat, you, know, you have these different apps, and you, you feel like you're controlling them, these perpetrators will be able to access your accounts, especially if you use the same username. You know, do not use, you know, caution your kids about using the same username on all of their platforms because that makes them very easy to target. And these perpetrators will get on there. They they may potentially use different names. Sure. That makes sense. And, and the thing that I tell parents a lot 
is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 26 and I'm parenting a 13 year old. So I'm not super out of the loop when it comes to technology. Um, but I will never be able to stay on top of all the tricks that sure. the, that the traffickers use because as soon as we figure one out, they're on to the next. And so, and again, they make a living doing this. And so the best thing that we as parents can do is to continue to monitor our kids' use. You know, I'm asked what apps are safe, what apps aren't safe. Literally any app that has any kind of connectivity with the outside world isn't safe. quote unquote safe. Does that mean you shouldn't have them? No, you can have, your child can have these things as long as you are consistently monitoring and that means consistently taking their phone and physically going through it without them having the opportunity to go through and delete things before you look at it and so it's not fun it's not something but it should be a condition to allowing our children access to technology because it is such there are people out there who make a living on on hurting our kids and it's not about boys and girls a lot of people are like oh well I have a boy I'm not so worried about it people who sexually abused children do not care if they are female or male, um, especially if they abuse prepubescent children because there's not a whole lot of differences. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we see more girls coming forward, but that has a lot, it has less to do with what the traffickers are interested in and a lot more to do about our stigma as a society that boys can't be raped. And so, um, you know, your children, you need to be monitoring what your kids are doing, whether they're boy or girl, um, whether they're online or not online, like there's, there's, there needs to be checks and balances in place in your family where you're going through their technology to make sure that they're having appropriate interactions with appropriate people. And uh, along with that, what I want to say is because I've done presentations where as soon as I talk about the internet, people will say, well, that's it. We're going to, we're not going to let them have that. That is not realistic in our society. And you see that now with the COVID crisis, we've all reverted to uh, online. That's how we do life now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's just how it is. The internet is probably the most important thing in our world now. Um, So it is not only is important to have the checks and balances, but is equally important to empower our kids. Absolutely. To, to know that if this guy keeps, hara- if this person keeps harassing you, keeps asking you for information, keeps flattering you, and you can't physically touch that person, just block them, mm-hmm. delete them, do not answer them, do not talk to them. The other thing that uh, these perpetrators will do is they will, um, once they get to a point where they have access to your pictures, your information, or you may have sent them a sexually explicit picture, um, they will try to extort you for more information, more pictures. They'll threaten to post post that picture so all your friends can see it. Um, the, the thing that you have to know is you have to have that trusted adult that will be non-judgmental, that you can go to. Uh, you know, kids get really... Um, really upset and really nervous and anxious about what they've just done. They don't want to go to their parents because they know their parents are going to be mad because they know they shouldn't have done these kinds of things. But by the same token, they need somebody to rationally uh, walk through this with them because the perpetrator who's doing this may also then on the backside come in with a different screen name, a different name, say, hey, I heard about what's going on with you. Um, I know somebody who went through the same thing. I can help you. Let me help you. Well, at this point, their mind's in such a state, they want help. 
here they are reaching out to the same person who is tra- their past is, perpetrator. Yeah, yeah. Man, there really is so much to this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, you mentioned, Makria, that you talk to kids, and I know Compass does as well. Mm-hmm. What education are young people getting about this issue? Because my brain is going, okay, educate kids, educate parents. Like, how do we do this? You know, what do we need to know? Where do we get help? So let's start with what do our kids receive, say, from school, from a community, just so... Well, Compass does have a prevention program where our prevention educators go out to the schools, I mean, as young as elementary, um, but definitely hitting hard in the middle schools and high schools. And then we do have um, two advocates that are on local college campuses as well, um, just to try and get out healthy relationships, um, you know, different prevention, education, and so you're in school. Are you in all Tuscarawas County schools? Um, I don't believe all of them. I know definitely Dover, uh, New Philly, and then some in Carroll and some in Stark. Okay. For our listeners, I think that's something that we can all advocate yeah. for because it yeah. sounds like an important program. Maybe. And then Tusk Against Trafficking, we do, um, we do, we'll go into schools, we'll go in pretty much anywhere and talk about human trafficking. Um, I've talked to doctors, I've talked to students um, in, in high school and middle school. Um, I love talking to middle schoolers because that's, kids Kids in middle school do a better job of listening, first of all, because they don't think they know everything yet. <laughs> um, and they also, that's the age, you know, the average age for initiation into human trafficking is 12. So that wow. means that kids younger than and older than 12 are being brought into human trafficking. Um, and so that's a perfect age group to be talking to as middle schoolers. Um, and we do all that. We've talked to rotaries. We've talked to churches. We've talked to youth groups. Um, we've talked to factories that just want to educate their employees. Um, and so we've talked to mental health professionals, like the whole nine yards, and we do all of that for free right now. So, um, so that's something that, you know, if, if there's a group or, or, uh, a group of people that want us to come talk to them, we will. Um, we've gone into New Philly schools. We've gone into um, uh, Claymont schools. We've gone in, I'm trying to think of a couple other schools. Garraway. We've been in Strasburg. No. Have we been in Strasburg? Yeah, okay. early on. Now, when you're in the school districts, are you meeting in individual classrooms? Or what yeah. does that look so, like? So usually it's a health teacher okay. who has us come in and talk. Um, and, uh, sometimes they'll give me, uh, one class period. Sometimes they'll give me two days and that's, I love it when I get two days. Cause then I can really talk about what it looks like in Tuscarawas County for these kids to understand. Um, and so, um, that's something that, that I really like to be, I really like to be able to get into the schools. And it's also nice to be educating the teachers because sure. a lot of times, um, something else we know about human trafficking is it can be familial. So it can be family that's trafficking other family members. And so there needs to be, like Robin was saying, those supportive adults that are educated and don't just go, oh, well, you're prostituting yourself out or, oh, well, you're having sex with a bunch of men. That's not okay. And that's not what's actually going on. That might be what the child says. They might sure. say, I'm willfully having sex with these people like how or, do they understand or I'm willfully you? have a job and no, I don't get any money from it, but that's just, this is how my life is. This is the, the contract I signed, whatever it is. That's still 
trafficking. And so we need adults to be aware of the red flags because you're never going to have a kid or a victim walk up to you and say, I am a victim of human trafficking. Please help me. Like that's the, that's the joke I always make. You're never going to have that happen. And so we have to be aware of these red flags and we have to be listening intentionally um, so that if we see something, we can say something. Now, are you all responsible for the signs in the bathroom stalls that we see? The human trafficking ones? Uh Yes. Because those are wonderful. I mean, for me, it it Mm -hmm. kind of, every time I see one of those signs, it makes me Mm -hmm. cognizant of that issue. Um, Do we get people that call in? Uh, Compass would be the one. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, You know, our hotline, we have it 24-7, and then um, it's our advocates that answer during the day, and then it goes, um, after hours, it goes to RAIN, which is the national hotline. Um, so we definitely do get uh, specifically Tusk County uh, survivors who need support. And So when someone calls one of those lines, um, do we have success stories? We're able to pull them out of those situations? or It definitely takes time mm-hmm. um, because normally it's uh, a really involved and there's still always this stigma of like, why does this person stay? Um, and it's, uh, there's a lot more layers to that. Or go back. So, yeah. I, I heard the average survivor goes back like six times before they're finally. It's seven times it's seven for domestic times. violence. Okay. For so it's a, probably higher for human trafficking because they're even more entrenched. In yeah. There's a lot of manipulation that the traffickers will use, um, even if it's withholding their documentation. So if they're, they could be a perfectly documented, uh, Immigrant, um, yeah, but they will hold on to their documentation. Um, they'll use that fear of law enforcement against them. Um, they will tie their their sponsorship to to them. You know, you can't you can't stay here if if I don't go to court with you on this day to for your immigration. Then. Um, then they're going to be deported. Yeah, you're going to be deported. Um, they'll manipulate them with drugs, mm-hmm. um, any sort of addiction, any sort of, especially the fear. Uh, they will keep them kind of, I know Isolated. where your family lives. Definitely the isolation. I've worked in domestic violence um, previously before moving to Compass. And, I mean, the overlap of the fear, the the drug addictions, the... Um, sexual violence just across the board and just um, even going back to the when you had said that the grooming can be in person we would see in shelter um, other people coming into we would admit somebody into shelter and then they would start trying to find people to take back to the trafficker hey I've got this really good gig going I make tons of money um they're really good to me. So it's, you know, it's totally fine. I know you're in a tough spot, so I want to help you out. Just do it this one time and you'll get money enough to move out of shelter. You know, that sort of thing. It's really easy to anyone who's in a tough situation can, is easier to be manipulated. So I guess that's again, another, I keep saying this is such a huge topic. Mm -hmm. I bet getting someone from shelter Reacclimated to life is probably just a, oh my, yeah. a really yeah. big issue. The trauma that comes from, I mean, sexual violence, violence of any kind, 
Um, it really stays with you for a long time. You know, some people don't even start counseling until years later because they can't uh, process it. They can't, it's kind of compartmentalized until a later date. Some people don't even, um, talking about sexual violence during their childhood, um, sometimes they don't even really remember it until later in adulthood, something triggers it, and then they have all of these memories um, come back. And so from the outside, it's difficult for some people to understand that. How do you not remember something that was so traumatic? But it's our brain's way of surviving. So I, I was listening. Something that really, you know, there's so many different things we could talk about with the manipulation. We could talk about how they get them addicted to drugs. And so if they leave, they feel like they're going to die. That We could talk about how they, you know, in, in, we have a huge Guatemalan population in Tuscarawas County, and for them, life in Guatemala is worse than being trafficked here in Tuscarawas County, right? And so that is a manipulation technique, um, the, the threat of deportation. <clears throat> and something that I heard a story once from a survivor who said that she was now in her 40s, had a healthy family, had two beautiful kids, um, she'd been through years and years and years of counseling and she was trafficked for a very short period of time when she was a teenager. And she said, if my trafficker, she was standing there training us. And she said, if my trafficker walked through that door right now and said, come with me, she said, I would. And that is the level of control and manip. I mean, this is years and years and wow. years later. Um, and so when we try to, when we go, oh, well, why don't you just leave? Why don't you stay out once you're out? We can't understand the level of control that these people have. It's well, crazy. And it's not only the control, it's the their uh, desire to be so, um, so involved in that person's life. These mm-hmm. predators, these traffickers, you know, we talked about predators online. Well, these traffickers are the same way with the people they traffic, they're relentless. And so if a person leaves, that it's not that easy. That sure. person just can't leave. They're going to hunt them down. They're going to find them. They're gonna, going to go to the shelters. And um, we've heard survivors talk about actually being, uh, you know, making the decision to leave their trafficker, getting on a plane with assistance from some organizations and flying across the country to a shelter because that's the only way they could sever that bond was to actually go into hiding. And sometimes they still go back. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes they still go back. Well, I'll tell you what, I, this particular topic, I, it almost kind of leaves me a little unnerved because I feel like I, it's really impossible to have this conversation in such a short period of time. So I'm very thankful, McCrea, that you said you guys are going to continue these podcasts um, because I just think there's so much information here. Um, What we need to do to protect our kids, community members, people that are into our communities. What do we do as parents? You know, I, I just think there's so much here. Um, But what I would like to kind of just wrap us up with today um, is, I think there's a couple questions. What can parents do? Um, What what should community members do? How can we get involved? Mm -hmm. What ways can we get involved? And I know I keep throwing one more question, but Mm -hmm. like I said, I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's so much to this. So 
Um, so Tusk Against Trafficking, uh, we're, our coalition is open to to anybody who wants to join to fight human trafficking in Tuscarawas County. Um, and so that's one way people can be involved. They can email me. Um, they can get on our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page, Tusk Against Trafficking, and message us on there. Um, then we also have a website, tuskagainsttrafficking.org. Um, and they can get on and email me through that um, if they want to get involved with the coalition. We do a lot of public awareness stuff. We do a lot of education. We do some outreach to people who are at risk. Um, and so, so what would some of those volunteer activities look like? Um, we have opportunities for um, public. So like we, we equip you to be able to go out and educate and do public awareness. Um, sometimes we need people to work booths. Um, sometimes we, uh, we have different projects that we work on. So, um, you know, we'll work on, uh, putting together packets of information for different professionals. We'll work on, um, doing, uh, a community wide, um, kind of recommended procedures document. We'll work on, like, there's a bunch of different projects that we have okay. going that, that you can be involved in. Um, and, and we don't, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not equipped to do that. Well, we can help you okay, be equipped great. to do that. So that's one nice thing because we're, we're very aware that um, it's a topic and, and areas that people might not feel 100% comfortable in. And so sure. we really work with people that way. Um, How about funding? Do you all need financial support? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, funding's always awesome. We Our grant, Robin and I are supported by a grant, and it runs out at the end of September. And so um, the coalition ag- existed long before us. It will continue to exist long after us. Um, but any kind, that's kind of been our funding stream for us to be able to do things like the posters and to do things like going out and uh, teaching at schools and stuff free of charge and that sort of thing. And so um, any kind of financial support we can get, you know, some churches donate to us and that kind of thing every once in a while. That's always nice. Um, Financial support's great. Um, And uh, just liking us on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Um, talking about human trafficking, not being afraid to have, that's one thing I always talk to community members about, you know, if you don't want to get involved in the coalition, if you don't want to like our Facebook page and share our stuff, whatever it might be, um, you can just, just being an empathetic listening ear to people in our community who we might have a stigma against. Um, that is huge and that you know if you see something say something that is that is something that is um not easy for us to do we don't want to embarrass ourselves we don't want to embarrass others and I've often said you know if if I save one person's life I will embarrass myself (laughs) 25 (laughs) times to save one person so um you know that's something that we need to be aware of and kind of um being aware of the red flags and and saying something if we see something um, you really need to trust your gut, and yep. if you if you feel there's something not, not right, right, contact the lo- local law enforcement and let them check it out. Um, maybe the first time they won't see anything, you might see something again and think, "Geez, I just called. I'm not going to do it again." Do it again. Yep. You know, trust your gut. Um, as far as parents, well, first of all, I want to give a a plug for that Facebook page because I think we have a lot of good information yeah. on that. And then in light of of coming out of this quarantine and maybe having free time on your hands, the Ohio Attorney General's office on the Ohio Human Trafficking Task Force website has a Human Trafficking 101 training. It's just a short video. Uh, you can watch the video. You can take a quiz at the end and get a certificate, or you can just watch the video. It's got a lot of good information yeah. on it. Um, for parents, some of the resources that I've uncovered during 
my quarantine time and spending time on um, uh, some different webinars throughout the nation. Uh, the ICACTaskForce.org. Uh, there's a lot of information on internet safety on there. Mm-hmm. Um, there and that particular tab is free. It, there's other parts of it that you have to be a member of, but that tab's free. NetSmarts.org. We talk about that all the time, and that website is something that you can really get lost on because it focuses on particular age ranges and it gives you different tips and uh, learning tools for your kids in those age ranges. And then one that I just recently came on uh, was commonsensemedia.org. And that one is huge to me because there's a tab on there that says um, parents need to know. And it will talk about all the apps that your child might access or have on their phone. And it will tell you every little detail about those apps, how to set controls, how to um, know what your child's doing and understand the pitfalls of those apps. So those, I think, are great resources for parents. And and we've had those posted on our Facebook page as well. And I think even as the, um, if you're going to be the empathetic listener, um, be be a safe person for somebody to talk mm-hmm. to. It's really important that you keep it really non-judgmental, mm-hmm. um, because as soon as someone says anything, um, that trust can mm-hmm. be broken mm-hmm. very easily. So keeping it non-judgmental, these victims are doing everything that they can just to survive each day, uh, survive each hour. Mm-hmm. And so they're going based off of knowledge that they have in the moment. Um, so it may take a few times before they do leave. But um, every time every time that you talk to them, you're planting a seed. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's, those seeds are really important. Very good. Um, I appreciate you all. Um, I really do. Melanie, I'm looking at you from Compass Rape Crisis Center. And I do think in a future podcast, we really do need to kind of have some conversation about domestic violence and and um, violence that can happen within the home, especially coming from the anti-drug coalition. Um, and I hear you all say this, alcohol, substances, that this is part of the process as well. And, um, you know, just understanding when someone is trafficked, when someone is experiencing um, sexual violence, mm-hmm. that the ability to cope is probably almost um, impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, understanding, having conversations, Mm -hmm. understanding if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the resources that you threw out there. I do encourage people to go to um, Tusk Against Trafficking Mm -hmm. and look at the resources there. Mm -hmm. Um, Get involved um, if you want to help out the organization or if you would want to bring presentations into your Civic organization, yep. churches, businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. I think it's vitally important that parents really take the time to understand how do we monitor ki- our mm-hmm. kids, how do we have conversations. Absolutely. And I think that's difficult because... I think that's the big thing yeah. is the conversations because it, it, just what Melanie said, you have to be non-judgmental. And as a parent, that is so difficult sometimes. And, you know, I think as parents, a lot of us, uh, I'm a little on the older side, we didn't grow up with technology. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's difficult mm-hmm. to have conversations around it because I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I know I heard from a speaker one time is to just acknowledge my kids aren't going to do this right. Like, mm-hmm. 
yeah. because I'm not teaching yep. them how mm-hmm. to do this, yep. and they're going to make mistakes. I mean, yep. using technology mm-hmm. is pretty weighty. Mm-hmm. Um, so to expect that they might make some mistakes, yep. which could be friending someone they don't mm-hmm. know. Yep. So instead of being angry, mm-hmm. kind of not being angry and having conversations and, and yeah. parenting them through that. And something else I tell parents all the time, you know, kids get upset because you're going through your phone. You don't, and I had a parent tell me, I trust my kid though. And I'm like, yeah, you can, you can trust your kid. I trust my kid, but you can't trust the people out there who want to hurt your kid. And that's why you're going through their phone. It's not because you don't trust your child. It's because there are people out there who make a living doing this and you can't trust them. Thanks for sharing that. And so having that frame of mindset, especially when you have that conversation with your kid, I trust you. I know you don't want to be hurt. I know you don't want to be engaging with people who are dangerous. I don't want that either, but we have to be you know, your brain's still developing. So your ability to pick up on these red flags might be different than my ability. And we need both of us to be able to weed out these people who would want to hurt you. If you have it in that kind of a team effort approach, kids are less likely to be offended. They might act like they are, but they're less likely to be, uh, hide things from you and that sort of thing. So, well, listen to you speak, lets me know that if I see any traffic Tusk against trafficking talks out there for parents. <laughs> I probably should attend because I can tell we'd walk away with a lot of great information. With that, um, I think we're going to wrap up today just for sake of time, but I appreciate y'all. Thank you, Melanie and Makria and Robin for coming today. Listeners, I hope you've learned something, you take something away, and um, that if you want to learn more, get involved, that you now know how to do that. So thanks again, and I hope y'all come back next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.